In Jeffrey Frank's recent book titled The Trials of Harry S. Truman, he reports that at his low point in his time as president, he was only 16% popular. However, 70 years later, Harry Truman was ranked sixth most effective of the 46 U.S. presidents, according to the latest C-SPAN survey. Jeffrey Frank, whose career includes professional years at the Washington Post and the New Yorker magazine, has written the first full account of the Truman presidency in nearly 30 years. The book's subtitle reflects the theme of the biography, The Extraordinary Presidency of an Ordinary Man, 1945 to 1953. Jeffrey Frank, can you remember when you first thought of doing a book on Harry Truman? Yeah, I, I can. I was, I had finished a book about about the relationship between Eisenhower and Nixon, and I, and I that period. I love that period, and I always thought there's one more book there, and and of course it has to be Harry Truman. Harry Truman was my first president. I grew up with Harry Truman. I grew up in Washington. My my father worked in the Pentagon, and he was he was a civilian for the Department of the Army. And I remember the first thing I remember was was. So this this guy MacArthur had been fired, and everybody was very upset about it. And I wanted to, it was a way to return to to that part of my childhood and return that to a Washington that not, doesn't exist anymore. So that was that was it. And then so and then Truman himself, I felt that he really there, there was a wonderful biography by David McCullough, but it's thirty years ago. I thought it was time to sort of go back and look at it fresh. I think there's nothing there's nothing like time to sort of give you a different perspective of, of our own of our history. So I think that was that that's what got to me. How'd you go about it? How did I go about doing the, the book? Yeah, I, I started. I, I my first stop was Missouri, and I uh, uh, the, the, the Truman Library. I went away. So I went more than once, but then a lot. And then I started to realize I had to do a lot of a lot of traveling. Um, I, I, obviously, I, I Berlin, and then Clemson, and South Carolina, where the where the all the papers of James F. Burns, his first Secretary of State, were. And then when I got to the Korean War, I realized I can't write about Korea without going to Korea. So I had to take a, I took a trip to, to, to there just to, even if it, even if it was, I mean it was more than that. But even even just seeing the place, you know, I, I'm very if I look at a map, I'm not I'm not great with maps. So I have to so seeing Korea from the air, I can say, oh my God, how can you fight a war in this in this in this faraway place with mountains and 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 uh, you know, seven thousand miles from home? And I began to completely completely got caught up in, in that in that story along with everything else. So and then and then there were and then I, and I wish there were more people alive. But the one person I got to meet who was wonderful was David Atchison, Dean's uh, Dean's son. And he was when I met him, he was ninety three. He's he, he, unfortunately he's he's he sadly de deceased. But he was he was wonderful and really helpful and, and a delight. And we had we had we had one long lunch in Washington and then, was, and then several phone calls and emails back and forth. I will ask you about people as if. The people listening have no idea who they were, and so we'll start with David Atchison. Who was his father, Dean Atchison? Oh, I should say his, his father. Yeah, his father was Dean Atchison, who was the who who had been in government a long time. He was he was an undersecretary of state in Truman's first term under 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 a man named James, James F. Burns, and and Truman really admired him and felt comfortable with him, even though they could not have been less alike. Truman was a uh, from Jackson County farmer. He was the only modern president who'd never been to college, and then and Atchison was Groton, Yale, Harvard. That's all he and and he, the, the the whole uh, the, the 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 divide between these two lives couldn't have been larger. And yet they they really 
they really got along and they understood each other and they and and Truman got to rely on him and Atchison and Atchison then uh, when when Truman won his his first full term in 1948 the first thing he did almost was to ask Atchison will you be my secretary of state and Atchison uh, said yes Atchison actually had actually resigned uh, undersecretary a year a year earlier because he, he needed the money he went back to work with his law firm what did you learn about him from his son David just I mean David really admired him and I just I just learned that he was you know he was uh, I mean when David talked about him he was you know he said he was a tall man and uh, and he was uh, and he and he he was and he was someone who just it's funny I mean he actually he, David looked just like him I when I first time I met David you you, you know, my God it's, it's Dean Atchison and and uh, but he and I just learned that he just he just deeply admired him and he and I think I'm not going to say he wanted to emulate him but he wanted to be he was. Dean Hanson was an honorable man, and I, I don't think he was a perfect a perfect Secretary of State, but I think he was a perfectly honorable person, and I think that's what David wanted to be, too. What would be Dean Acheson's legacy? I think it's, I think there were, I think it's the, I mean, to me, it was the, probably, probably NATO, uh, um, some, 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 uh, sort of steering Truman, Truman to sort of see, to see, to see he had a role in, in shaping the future of the West, the West and, and the Western Alliance, and he just and he and he, I, I, they were all as I, I wrote and others have said they were all kind of no one really knew what they were doing in a way they were they were sort of figuring out it was a, figuring out what step to take in this steps to take in this new world they didn't know Atchison he did leave Truman with his leave Truman with his great distrust of, of Soviet Russia and that and that and that state and that 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 was that was a that was that was perhaps the most but but Truman but Truman himself was was already inclined not to not to not to have a great deal of trust in, in Russia. And, it, and, and, as you point out in your book, when NATO was originally formed back in I think nineteen forty one nineteen forty nine, there were twelve members, yeah. and today there are thirty. What sure. do you think Harry Truman or Dean Acheson would think of NATO today, given what's going on over in that part of the world? I don't know. What I do know and is that is what George Kennan. George Kennan was the was 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 the was the um, he was the, he was a deputy uh, ambassador in Russia and then then ran the ran the Russia desk and then and, and, and at the State Department he was probably the probably the the, the one American uh, diplomat historian who knew Russia better than any anybody anybody in government. And Dean Acheson thought it was the most in, the most incredible mistake to expand NATO as we did in 1995 and onward. He thought he he predicted it would set off he would set off Russia set off Russian nationalism so he would have been he was horrified. Dean Atchison I don't know but I wouldn't be surprised if Atchison would have would have would have supported NATO expansion and would have would have been happy with it and would have been and would have and would not have worried it wouldn't have would have would have wanted it to have ended as it did and not the way not the way it was today. In your book, and I don't know that I'm accurate, I was trying, right before, before uh, we started, I was trying to figure out where I found the two of these in your book. But is it true that he said at one time about Korea, I'm not sorry for it, under the circumstances I'd do it again, and then I, I think it, it may have been, uh, well, he was talking about the bomb, but then he says, the most terrible decision I ever made about Korea. I think that was true. The, the first one was about the bomb. He said he he never he, he said I would do it again. I'm not sorry for it, and he he meant that. I think he had, I think he I think he had, I think he he he, he had a conscience about it, but he he, he never he, he never doubted that he made the right decision. And to, and Teresa Korea by that he simply meant it was the only time he actually sent American 
soldiers in, in, into battle, and that was the most terrible decision in that sense. He, he wasn't it wasn't good or bad. He, I think he he, he always thought, he always justified. He always thought it was, he always thought it was a good decision. Why did he go yeah. into Korea? Well, I mean that that had a, long, a sort of long history. That was there, there was a, there was a uh, the, the, this 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 directive, the secret directive had been the, the NSC sixty eight, which basically said in black and white, the Soviet Union is our is our enemy, and uh, and we will do. And this is an extension of what 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 we came, we came to call the Truman Doctrine, which was we will we will con, and we, we will contain any sort of Soviet expansion, and 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 uh, and that's and that's that was our. Our, our role and, and and Korea, Truman saw it and and, and others, I mean, others told him. Uh, I mean, everybody said I mean, I, that. I just said even John Foster Dulles, when the North when North Korea invest, invaded the South in the in June of 1950, um, we one suspected and rightly so that, that Stalin had encouraged the the invasion and therefore and 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 North Korea, which was a which was communist, wanted to wanted to wanted to take take over the whole country and Truman and Truman saw that as something should be resisted and then also he saw that as a real test of the united nations which was which which was brand new but so so that's and so he he okayed the decision just to, to send uh, to send troops in at first and then and then of course the war became much bigger than sending sending troops in to uh to to, to help help stop the uh the, the, the takeover by the north i want to ask you about people in the book uh first of all who was his most important advisor during all the time that he was in the White House? Well, I would say Atchison, with, 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 with General, General George Marshall II. These were, these were the men, he, these are, and I say men, he, there were no women. He had no women in his cabinet, no women anywhere around him. In the, but, but these were the men he listened to, and, mostly, and, 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 and almost, almost anything they said uh, had an enormous effect on him. General Marshall told one of his interviewers, I told one of his bodies, Pogue, that he that almost anything he said, Truman would do, and that was that's almost almost frightened Marshall in a way that he had that kind of power over him. So George Marshall was not in favor, if I understand it, endorsing the idea of the Israeli state, and Truman overruled uh, him. What was going on between the two of them on that issue? That was like the, that was the one time where they really, they really did not see see eye to, at all eye to eye. Um, Truman Truman wanted to go ahead and recognize this 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 this, this new state. And Marshall said it's it's it's, it's a horrible mistake. Um, you, you're going to set off you know you know sort problem problems with the Arab world, and and uh, and 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 there was just just don't you know don't do it. And and uh, so. But there was at this point Truman was guided by emotion. Sometimes that happened to Truman. It was very rare, but the but the the emotion of the uh, the, 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 the stories of the of the camps of the refugee camps in Europe, and and then the urging of his, his friend Eddie Jacobson, who had been his business partner, uh, others to said you you know you, you have, it became almost a moral question for Truman, and um, at, and Marshall was so angry about it that he actually said in a meeting that if if you were running for president or I would not, I would vote against you. This had come up, but uh, he he stuck with him. You mentioned a name, and this has nothing to do with anything, but I want to mention it and get your reaction. When I first came to Washington about 56 years ago, I lived in a building over in Arlington, and I used to see this guy coming and going in the little 7-Eleven on the first floor, and I, I had no idea who he was. And in preparation for this 
interview, I got I looked at some video on George Marshall and it, I learned for the first time it was Forrest Pogue who was in my building. I had no idea who he is. And I want to ask you, did you read the Marshall books that he wrote? And what did you think of Forrest Pogue's history? I read some of them. The one that was that was the one I found most interesting were the, this, this, the interviews with Marshall. Is it fascinating and and so on? I've read so many sort of different. I've read other biographies of Marshall, and then Pope Pope was very very good. But I but I felt that I knew Marshall's life pretty well. But it was Marshall's voice that I got that Pope was so valuable with, and I mean that was his, in a way Pope's source book with with his interviews. <laughs> I wish he was still around. It'd be fun to interview him today. Um, <clears throat> talk more about Jimmy Burns. <laughs> Where shall I start? Wherever you want. Right. Jimmy Burns fascinates me because he was the, I mean, in, in today's Washington, where, where, the, where the sort of Ivy League resume is sort of the, the, the entree to any job, Jimmy Burns never finished high school. I'm not even sure he finished grade school. He became a congressman for almost 30 years, a senator. He became a Supreme Court justice, even though he, he never sat on the bench. And, uh, and, and, and during the war, I, I, President Roosevelt, who had an enormous faith in his ability, his, his managerial talents, uh, basically put him in charge of sort of, of, sort of the war industries, and, and, and he became known as an assistant president. He, was, he also thought that he was going to become the, Roosevelt's vice president in 19, 1944. Um, Roosevelt had seemed, sort of promised him, promised him the job. He had certain drawbacks. He was, he was, he was, a, he was a racist, a segregationist. And, uh, and and uh, and 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 he and also an ex-Catholic, which which had turned which which had turned the, the Catholics against him too. So, but he was a, and he was a very ambitious guy, and he and and he really and I and he really when when Roosevelt chose this guy Harry Truman to be his vice president in 1944, Jimmy Burns felt very very let down, betrayed almost, and uh, and and when and and he was done with Roosevelt then, and when Roosevelt died in 45. He showed up at Truman's office almost within within a few days, and he began clearly. There's, there's no there's nothing nothing was said, but clearly lobbying to be the next Secretary of State. And and, we, and by the way, the Secretary of State in 1945 was the next in the line of succession. The Presidential Succession Act of 1947 made it, made it the Speaker and the President pro tem, which it, which it had been in the 19th century, but that was changed. And and uh, and 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 and, uh, and cabinet officers became the next next in line. So Jimmy Burns became Truman's second or his first his first appointment as Secretary of State. And by doing so, Jimmy Burns became the first in line to the president. He was he became Truman since there was there was no vice president then. He became essentially in terms of succession Truman's vice president. And uh and then and then he became a, a not a, not a not a very successful Secretary of State. And and had and he had a falling out with Truman and that's another story which I'll be happy to go into. But, uh. well, as you know, um, there have been a couple of justices over the years that went on the court, got off, and went on to do other things. And, and But Jimmy Burns wasn't on the court, what, more than a little bit over a year. Why would, why he, would he do that? He was bored silly by the court. Bored silly by the court. Okay. Charlie Ross. Tell us about Charlie Ross. Charlie Ross was a guy, a really good guy. I mean, I mean, who seems to be. I, the, um, he was a he was a childhood friend of Truman's in, in Missouri, and you can actually, and 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 they were an, a, a, in, in school. And when Truman needed a press secretary, he turned to Jimmy. This guy Charlie Ross. He was he was a 
a Pulitzer Prize winner. He was on the St. Louis Post Dispatch, was a, which was a, a, a very good newspaper then, and 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 not a, and not very favorable to Truman. But Truman and and Ross were 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 always friends and friendly, and Ross was one of the few people who could basically talk Truman and say, you know, tell Truman what he really thought. He was a, he was a perfect appointment. He could the press would believe what he said because he basically told the truth, and he was very and, and he was also very good at, at, at sort of handling his handling his boss. He uh, he actually taught, basically told taught Truman how to use the phrase no comment. <laughs> I um, want to go to a footnote of yours under the chapter thirteen. Uh, called Minority Reports. And um, this gets into the race issue. And I know you wrote about the fact that he desegregated the, the army. But I want to read this. It's it's actually from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which would have been one of his newspapers. And he, you have quoted Marcus Childs, who uh, was a columnist, later wrote about approaching Truman on behalf of Agnes Meyer, whose family owned the Washington Post, to ask if he'd speak at a dinner for the Wendell Wilkie Awards for Negro Journalism. Truman said, quote, Hardly a day goes by that I don't get a letter from that woman or from Eleanor Roosevelt telling me how to handle this job. I get along well with the Burrheads until sooner or later I say, and he uses the N-word, I don't see why I sh- shouldn't do it, and he did. So... What? Why would he insist on using the N word? And that's not the only time in your book that you quote him saying that, and then have this attitude about uh, needing to desegregate the army. Well, several things. One, he never got over his feeling. I mean, he he was never he never thought that blacks and whites could be social equals, and he actually said that in, in, in several speeches. He thought, but he was, um, but he, but he, but he did, um, he did. Be, want fairness. He believed in fairness, and I think he um, he, he used the N word a lot. He used the N word privately. He used it. I quoted it. I quoted it once in a letter letter home to Bess, um, uh, uh, seeing a, a show in Washington, and, uh, and 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 that was. But that was that's just the way he talked, and it was the way his sister talked. And they and uh, and he, um, he 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 gave a speech in in Chicago in 1940. What he as I was say, he said. Well, um, I, I think we really want the you know equality um, before the law for the you know for the for for, for, America, for, for Negroes, but we but, but they don't want social social equality social equality either, and and that's and, and that was that's that's the way he saw it. The he the desegregation of the army and of, the, of the military came much later. That was 1948, and of course it never it never didn't happen until Eisenhower was president. But he but he was the one that he issued the the. the the, the executive order. He um, he had a real problem with with race. I mean, there was no question about that. His um, and his his breakthrough probably came. Um, he was very upset, but there were, there were some incidents in, um, in 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 the forties. The um, there was a a a, a a returning GI was purposely blinded by a by a, a sheriff um, in South Carolina on the way home, and that became a very famous case. Orson Welles had a regular broadcast, and he. And he talked about it, and and uh, and Truman, and a lot of lynching was uh, that important. And Truman, Truman really did not like that. I mean, he really, he really thought that was horrible, and he and he hated it. And then he he so he was, in, in complete break with his with his past. He 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 appeared at the Lincoln Memorial, with Eleanor Roosevelt, the, the, you quoted this book before, and Walter White, who was the president of the of, of the executive director of the NAACP. And 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 Justice Black and others and 
and and basically said, um, and basically, I am, you know, we're we're going to have a new day, and it, and it was a new day, and he he sponsored, he he, he asked, he, he he appointed a committee to study uh, civil rights, and 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 uh, which came up with a, with, a, with a report that that Walter White, the NAACP, had some up was was the most far-reaching and brave thing he he he'd seen, and that called for. I mean, by today's standards, it was it was relatively modest, but it called for equal employment opportunity, it, uh, it, uh, desegregation of interstate travel, and things like that. And it was a there was a it was a fairly pro very progressive plan for that time. And that was Truman too. It was Truman two sides of Truman. Truman who who has never got over his feelings about race, but also sort of he he realized he was the president, and the president has to do certain things. He even said said more than once. There are two people sitting in his seat. There's, there's Harry Truman and there's the president. And, and, and it was the president who desegregated the armed forces, not Harry Truman. What was your approach to this book? Um, you know, it's, I've, I've read it. It's chronological. But what, how did you approach it to do something different that no one else has done? I'm, I'm not. I, I mean, I'm not. Uh, I wasn't trying to do something different. I was. I think what I was trying to do was to tell the story fresh, as if for the first time, as if I knew nothing. And 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 I was able to. And, and I think by finding, you know, by simply by simply immersing yourself in the archives, immersing yourself in the, um, in the in the all the oral histories, the diaries, and so on, it's sort of an unending source, and you begin to you begin to form a picture. And I thought that had not been done, at least at least. From the perspective that we have today, the world does look different. In nineteen, in two, well, I started nine, well, seven, I'm sorry, seven years ago, and but the world looked very different in in uh, 2015 than it, than it did you know, in, in 1972. What do you think of the archival material available on Harry Truman? It's great. The, the, the Truman Library. There were two president. I've actually I've had, I've had experience with three presidential libraries. A lot of experience. One was the the Nixon Library, which was very interesting and very and sort of a bifurcated, I think they it's much less so now. There was the Nixon, uh, but, uh, but they were they were actually pretty pretty good. The Eisenhower Library is, is is quite wonderful, and I think the Truman Library may be the best in the sense that almost everything was was in there. Truman, I think, while Truman was at first, I think he, things were held back, even though he said, I, "I want the whole, I want all the record to be there." But by the end, but 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 by, even by the time he died. Um, that, that, it was a great library, and, it was, and you can and you can you can spend a lifetime in there finding stuff. Uh, I couldn't have done. Uh, there were wonderful archivists there who were very helpful. There was a, a man named Randy Soul in particular who was able to answer almost any question I had. But here's a little. Here's one. I couldn't understand how Truman could be giving a speech about dropping the atom bomb when he was aboard a ship, and and, and because we, there was no such thing as radio communications in those days in 1945. Anyway. We found out what happened was he actually recorded a speech on the ship, which was later broadcast, and was the announcement of the bomb was made in, in Washington by the deputy press secretary. Things like that, where the archivists were really wonderfully, wonderfully helpful. I want our listeners to know that I'm purposely not going chronological. Buy the book, and then you can find out the story from beginning to end. These are little things that uh, popped up that I, I want to get you to elaborate on. How How did he... Go ahead. I was going to say, Brian, going chronological was, a, was really difficult for me too because ten things would happen all at once. So how do you do that and not lose the and not lose track of it? And and so you want to you want the reader to follow it, and that's so I, I want to say this. But it, it is pretty chronological. But at times you just when everything happens at once, it's pretty hard to do it sometimes. But I think I think it's pretty clear what, what's going on when. I hope it is anyway. You should tell our listeners that you are in Denmark right now while we're doing this. So if they. 
<clears throat> here's some technological glitches that possibly might be it. Anyway, oh, go, go, go back to um, the war and Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. What was his relationship with both of those men? He had none. Um, he um, there have been these two big three big important. There was the conference in Tehran with with Stalin, Roosevelt, and Roosevelt and Churchill, and then there was and uh, and then there was the the, the the one in Yalta, which was just which was um, in February of of forty five and two months before Roosevelt died, and uh, and and there was it wasn't even sure there was if there was going to be a third one, it was going to be Truman, and Truman was had never met never met. Uh, Stalin. He 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 met Churchill, who, who, who when he come to town, but didn't know him at all. And so he was so he 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 was there as the as the as the inexperienced leader of the most powerful nation on earth. And that was and he met them for the first time, uh, really for the first time, and 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 had to um, negotiate or or settle all kinds of things. And, and they, they all met in in, in Potsdam, a, a, a very luxurious actually. It was a, still a very fancy suburb of, of Berlin, and uh, and and they met there for a. a Almost a month. Uh, Truman couldn't was going nuts. He wanted to go home. He missed his wife, he, he, uh, and uh, and 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 it was it was a very strange conference. That was they they were they would argue. They would meet. They would have parties in the evening, uh, and or, uh, and or, or they would take turns. And it was a, it was almost more a celebration than a than a conference that accomplished anything. One of the things that was really interesting for me, you know, I, I discovered that what, there was an American pianist named Eugene List who who entertained. Um, who entertained them, and I, I tracked down his daughter, who who found a, a, a diary of a, a memoir he'd written, and it was so it was sort of, but that was that it was it was it was a, it was a very happy time in a way because they were, the, the war was over, or at least the war in Europe was over, and the war in Japan was going to be over. Did you get a sense of what Churchill or Stalin thought of Truman? Yeah, I mean, I think Stalin, <clears throat> Stalin was, I think Stalin had. Stalin did not have a lot of respect for him. I just think he thought he was just a, 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 a country country bumpkin with a big bomb. But but they got a, but they but they, they managed to go. Churchill 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 had Churchill was very happy about Truman. I think I thought he thought Roosevelt sort of made fun of him. And 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 Truman it was just with Truman it was just the opposite. Truman Truman was slightly in awe of Churchill and and he didn't give him everything he wanted. But 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 they they, they understood each other. And uh, and in fact, uh, even, and in fact, uh, the, the famous I, the famous visit to to America that Truman made, that Churchill made in 1946 when he gave the Iron Curtain speech. That was the that was actually Truman that is that is being pushed around in his, by Churchill in a sense. Well, they went out to Fulton, Missouri, to Westminster College to give the Iron Curtain speech. What was that train ride out and back like? What did you learn about that between with Churchill and and uh, Truman on the train? Yeah, well, they, they, that's when they really got to know each other. Then they became Harry and Winston. And uh, I guess Churchill knew something about Truman. Truman was very fond of poker. And uh, so at the Churchill's suggestion, they start playing. They, had, they, they played poker. from. Uh, it was Churchill's idea that they'd take a train from Washington to, to Missouri. And they played poker on the way out. One of his church, one of uh, Harry Ross was, was uh, uh, Charlie Ross was there. Harry Vaughn, one of Truman's uh, cronies, was, was, was there. And uh, Clark Clifford, who was... Uh, who was who was a Truman aide and and was uh, and, and well he also joined in these poker games. They were very amused that um, that Churchill called the Jack a knave, and and uh, and and they became uh, and and so they had a, and and Truman would Churchill would recite Churchill Churchill recited uh, poems. Uh, uh, the the the, the, the I what is the Barbara Fritchie poem? Don't, 
touch a few words, this old gray head, but this old gray head that spare our country's flag. I don't, I don't have it exactly. But Churchill could recite these things as they, as they, as they went, as they went westward by train. What year was that speech? 1946. And what impact did the Iron Curtain speech have? Well, it was it, it, domestically. It was it sort of upset a lot of people because it sounded as if sounded as if Churchill had commanded uh, Truman to join this this, this 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 bipolar alliance in a way, and uh, and and it was it was a sensitive issue and, and it very much upset Stalin. It was there was not it was not unlike the sort of it was almost a gaffe that Truman made because he. It was he went he went to uh, he, he he went to Missouri. He sat next to Churchill when he gave a, when, he, when he gave a speech about this. I mean, he he never mentioned Stalin by name, but he just said there you know there was this this this, this threat from the east and uh, and Church, and Truman applauded uh, uh, Churchill's uh, speech and it was very and Stalin got very very annoyed and so much so that actually Churchill then went I mean Truman then invited invited Stalin to. Come to America. You come. You, you anywhere you want. I'll. You can give a speech, and I'll and I'll give you the same sort of hospitality. And of course, Ed Stalin, of course, never never traveled much beyond Moscow. And, uh, what what uh, kind of decisions did Truman make back in his cl- almost eight years in the White House that have still have an impact on our country to today this this day? Well, I think I think certainly 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 NATO was a huge decision. Truman. Truman, Truman saw that and he compared it to sort of a neighborhood watch group when, when, it's, when it started. And we'll all look, we're, we're, we're like neighbors looking out for each other. And this, as you said, we said earlier, that has certainly mutated into a, something that is no longer a neighborhood watch group. These are countries that were, they were, they were, they were so-called iron curtain countries when, when this thing was signed. And that has a huge impact. The Marshall Plan has had a huge impact. I don't know that, I don't know that Europe would not have... I don't think Europe would have had nearly this, nearly the, the rapid rebuilding that it had without without that. The Marshall Plan, which gave billions of dollars, is an unprecedented sort of thing. Dude, here's the most. Here's it, it, was, it was. I mean, I, I, I can't. I, I'm still sort of in awe of it in a way because here was this answer to the question: What if you what what the most powerful nation, the most and the strongest nation and the richest nation? What will it do with it? And America, America did something pretty good. It was not obviously there was a lot of self interest involved. We we needed. Trading partners in a world that had been destroyed, but it was. But this is the impact is huge today. We have we have this huge Western alliance that's pretty much intact, and and Japan is part of it now. So and so those were huge decisions. I'm, uh, certainly, certainly, the, and certainly the early steps in 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 uh, racial equality were important. And something else. And Truman tried and tried again to get health insurance for the country. Didn't succeed, but he tried and tried again, and uh, so much and and. Uh, and and it's it's no it's no surprise that when Medicare was signed by by Lyndon Johnson, Truman was at his side. Truman and Harry Truman and his wife Bess got the first new medic first two Medicare cards. You you mentioned Bess earlier, and you also write about the letters that Harry Truman wrote. How extensive were they? Oh, amazing! Truman wrote Bess all the time. Truman wrote to his daughter Margie or Margie Margie he called her. He he wrote to his mother almost up until the day she died. Of it. It's extraordinary. Uh, you, you wonder when you think about how we correspond today, sending out a 15, 15 letter email or stuff, uh, and uh, if, if, at most, and Truman write these long, longhand letters and, and uh, amazing. I don't know how he found the time, but yeah, and, and the letters to Beth were remarkable. There was one in particular that I quote where he was, um, where, where he, got, he came home for Christmas, became late because there was a storm. Risked, basically risked his life, or risked the pilot's life to fly out there, came in late, and Bess basically scolded him 
for just showing up and showing up at the last minute, then then having to head back to Washington. And then Truman wrote this letter really hurt. You know, basically, you mean so much to me, and when you don't see, when you don't understand what I'm not, what I'm doing, I can't, I can't, basically, I can't, I can't bear it. I'm not quoting it exactly, but it was just very, a very moving letter. And actually, there was there was a letter before that that was which which, which doesn't exist, but but he he he, wrote, he got it destroyed before 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 uh, before uh, Best could see it. But uh, where can but, you find the letters? Oh, they're they're all they're all um, they're all in the Truman Library. Are they online? Now they are. They weren't when I got there, but now they're online. There's also a book called Dear Best. Um, I forget who edited it, but it's it, you can buy it. You can and and um, and it's and it's it's fun. It's interesting. I mean, and it was just a. It, it was a, it, unfortunately Best's letters to Truman don't don't, don't exist. Uh, he, I think she 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 destroyed them. The 1948 campaign. Tom Dewey. Alvin Barkley, his VP. I don't know where to start, but he went something like 22,000 miles on a train all over the United States. What did you learn about this election? Well, I mean, there's never been any, anything like it before or since. I mean, it was the, it was, um, I mean, it, it, actually, just a little bit of background, too. It came, it followed, it followed the 1946 wipeout of the, by the, of the Democrats. The, the Democrats had basically held Congress since, since, since 1938. And uh, Roosevelt's first victory, and uh, and and in 1946, Truman thought he'd lose a few, lose a few seats. He lost 13 Senate seats, 55 House seats, and the, the and Congress flipped. And and uh, there was there were people suggested that Truman should resign. And I mean, or what he should do is appoint uh, a Republican uh, senator, uh, Arthur Vandenberg, to become Secretary of State, and who, who and he would then become next in line for the presidency. Then resign, and then Vandenberg would be president. It would it would. It would avoid all kinds of problems. That was the that was that was how weak Truman was in '46, and so the idea that he would, that he could run and win in '48 seemed preposterous. But he, he but he, of course he did, and he ran, and he, and uh, people thought he shouldn't. Other people wanted others to be nominated. There was um, uh, a Rose, uh, Roosevelt's two of Roosevelt's sons wanted General Eisenhower to be the nominee. Um, there was uh, and and he had a uh, he he had because of his civil rights stand he lost he lost the South. Uh, Strom Thurmond, a uh, governor of South Carolina, basically had a breakaway party, the, 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 which became known as the Dixie Dixiecrats. Um, uh, Henry Wallace, who was Roosevelt's vice president, then become and then became Truman's secretary of commerce. Just like Jimmy Burns, he was jealous of, of Truman. He thought he should have been president, and he would have been had Roosevelt kept him on as on the ticket. So he was, and, and he and he had been fired for 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 some for some. Um, Basically, some misstatements uh, a couple of years earlier, and he started his own the Progressive Party. So Truman was running was a, it, the Democrats were had were split into three parties, and and no one thought he could win. And then and then the Republicans had come up with with Tom Dewey, the, who had been governor of New York, a, a, a pretty good DA, and his vice president was a, was um, the governor of California, Earl Warren, and it, it seemed impossible. And and Truman Truman did it. He went out. He went. He, he but, yeah, coast to coast by train. He, he, he talked about the, the do-nothing Congress, which was not fair. The Congress had done a lot. Congress had passed the Marshall Plan. Congress had passed the Atomic Energy Act. So, that, but they weren't a do. But, but it was very effective. And he, uh, and this was a campaign with with no television. There were radio, but Truman was a terrible presence on the radio. So it would have been. It was. It was specious. It was whistle whistle stop speeches, press coverage, and I guess he connected to the voters. He connected it somehow in a way that Tom Dewey. 
this New Yorker with a number, with a little mustache could not, and that, and that, and that's so it was extraordinary. And 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 Truman was supposed to lose, and in fact, what happened? He actually not only won, but he won pretty, pretty, pretty decisively. It wasn't a landslide, but he won. It was a real victory. Why so did he uh, pick Alvin Barclay from Kentucky as his vice president? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he asked other. He, he wanted others to to run. Barclay was dying for the job. Barclay wanted to be president. And uh, and there was no there was no really good reason for it uh, except that they, they were they, they were friendly, and he wanted Barclay's he wanted Barclay's uh, support and he and at the convention uh, Barclay you know presumably worked for his nomination but there was really no good reason for it it was it was a, it was it was a ridiculous appointment and Truman sort of knew it Barclay was too old he was 70, 70 some years old, and uh, so but 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 he was uh, he was not a very good campaigner but that was uh, we uh, Truman should I, Truman should have known better it was a bad. A bad, bad idea. We're lucky Truman lived lived through a second term or his first full term. Harry Truman and the UN. And what did he have to do with the formation of the UN? Well, he was he was, he was for it. The UN, the UN was already in in motion uh, under Roosevelt, and uh, so and uh, and so when and Truman, so it, it it was a fait accompli. But Truman, but Truman uh, was all for it, and, and deep people believed in its in its important and importance and its. And, and what it would do to help just for the world peace. And, uh, you, you have a figure of popularity, percentage of popularity for Harry Truman I've never seen anywhere else. And it's you say at one point he was 16 percent popular in the United States. Where did you find that? And the last time I heard anybody go to Truman, it was like 24 percent. When was he at 16 percent? At one point, these, these polls would fluctuate like crazy. When he left office, he was at 31 percent. And I think that uh, I mean, and not, I mean, when he left the presidency, he was at thirty-one percent, and uh, he was so he was he was underwater all, all, the whole time. Uh, but but then, of course, these polls were not terribly reliable, as we discovered in nineteen forty-eight, where he where, where where the famous Roper Roper said, "I'm going to I'm going I'm to stop polling. There's no point to it any longer. This this thing is over." Go back to the people uh, in the book, David Lilienthal. Fascinating guy. He was um, he was a uh, he was a, a he was from Indiana, a Midwesterner, a, 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 a good amateur boxer, and uh, he became the first chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, and uh, which was which made um, which which made some really uh, big decisions. Though with though Truman was Truman was the, was the decider. One of the biggest was deciding to go ahead with what they called the super, the, which was the first the hydrogen bomb, the thermonuclear bomb, and uh, which was. Ex- Powerful beyond anything anyone any anything one could understand. The it, it could be a thousand times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. So it, it was it was understood that one of these things could could destroy the world, and it still should be and it's still understood. People know that today. Uh, when people talk about nuclear war today, it's they, they forget that these thermonuclear weapons, or they shouldn't forget these thermonuclear weapons, are powerful beyond the bomb beyond what we can imagine. Did they ever disagree? Not really. Not really. Lilienthal was sort of more dovish than Truman about. Lilienthal was against the the developing the super. The, 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 but he but he understood that it had to be done. There was no there was no way to argue against the idea that if we didn't that if we didn't do it, the, the Russians would do it, and uh, so we had we had to do it. It was it was it was a, it was a it was a it, it was simply going to happen because the, it was going to be an arms race no matter what there's no way that the russians and americans were going to say no we're not going to build any more of these things and the technology was pretty well known jeffrey frank used to 
write for the New Yorker with the Washington Post. Tell us about that time in your life. How long were you, were you doing both of those? Oh, I was the Post for 12 years, the New Yorker about 14 years. They were absolutely wonderful places to work. I was at the Post during the Bradley era. And, uh, and, and just walking into that newsroom and seeing Ben Bradley just sort of charged, charged you up. And then, and then Len Downey was also, was, 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 that was incredibly good too. Len Downey was a, was, had an incredible spine. So I was at the Post with a lucky, really lucky time to be there. And, and, and the Grahams owned it then. The Grahams were the best, best owners. It was great. I just can't say, people who worked there just say, but God, we were lucky to have been there. There, seemed, uh, there, uh, there was unlimited support for, for, its, for the reporting staff. And for and for and for the truth, and for trying to find and trying to trying to get to the bottom of, the, of everything, foreign and domestic, and it was an extraordinary place. And the New Yorker, when I came, I was hired by Tina Brown, who um, who was uh, who was who was picked on and teased for for uh, for, for for some of the wrong reasons. Uh, she, the most, uh, she was deeply excited over, over real journalism, and I was, but that was her too. But she also had this other this other side that was, which was which was irresistible, I have to say. But it didn't. But but that would but but her but her 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 lodestar away was Harry Evans, her her husband and uh, and who was a, a great journalist. Why have you written so many books that are novels? Well, I, I, I well I, I I um I just Washington was um Washington I was I thought there's no way to really get to the real Washington by doing anything else. I, I'm not going to write what Washington was. What it was like? I mean, I was I, I, the so-called Washington trilogy. There really is a sort of trilogy, but I don't know if anyone reads. One of them was about journalism. It was a, 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 the columnist was about journalism. The, the one bad publicity was about the think tanks and the law firms, and then the third one, uh, Trudy Hopedale, was about social Washington. And they all they all got together. There was one. The first the character in the first one was a guy was uh, Brandon Slatter was the name who was a the the, the columnist who had uh, incredibly ambitious. Uh, and somewhat sleazy guy, and he and and he made he had walk-on parts in the in the other two novels. He became a cable television talking. In, in your book, you write a lot about journalists in the time. Names that keep coming up would be James Rustin, uh, Walter Lippmann, uh, Rovere. I can go down the list. What did you think of the? Go ahead. Brothers. Oh, and the Alsop brothers. Also, but what did you think of the journalism back in Truman's time, and what do you think of it? Compare that with today. Well, I mean, I think it's. I mean, I think journalism is better today. The journalists are, journalists are are, are harder working, or more, more sort of more careful of of, of the facts, and uh, that they used to be the the opinion columnists in those days. What's really different is those opinions. There were a few of them, and they were incredibly powerful. Walter Lippmann was just. Walter Lippmann was was you know was sort of the last word. The, the two Alsop brothers, Truman was um, Truman called them the Sop sisters, <laughs> and uh, and they were also incredibly powerful. They and they were constantly criticizing Truman. They went after his 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 his, his, his Pentagon. They went after his um, uh, 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 his, his. I mean, they were they were just very 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 very, very uh, influential and, uh, and and in a way that you don't find there. There, there are too many. Maybe possibly because print journalism doesn't have the, the power it used to have, and but there's just no one no one like them. But but particularly Lippmann, and then you mentioned Mark Mark Child, Marcus Childs, all of them together. James Reston was really the voice of establishment in Washington. He had lunch with Dean Acheson a couple of times a week, and uh, and and when he wrote a piece for the Times Magazine called I think the number number two number the number one number two man or something, and it was a hugely flattering piece about 
about Atchison when he was the undersecretary. And these these relationships were were uh, were, were, were 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 very obvious to to people who who were in the city, but but readers just readers had no idea what was going on. So I think it's much more honest today. I think people know who who who's having lunch with who and why. I think. Where were you born, and where did you grow up? I was I was I, I grew up in Washington. I was born in Baltimore, but only because the hospitals there were. My, my parents thought there was a. I was in Johns Hopkins. I was. I grew up. I grew in Washington. That's Washington is my hometown. The Washington Senators were my home team, and I and I never got up. And, and I and I and uh, and I and I but I rooted for the you know I rooted for the Nats this, uh, when when I, when, I, when I actually got into the series. So that's my that's that's my hometown. Where did you go to school? I went to school. In, I went to school in, in, in Washington. In, in Wilson, and and then a a, a prep school in Massachusetts. Uh, and and then I, I went to uh, for, for, for my in my checkered college career I went to Knox College in NYU. Knox College in uh, in in uh, Galesburg, yeah, Illinois, yeah, exactly. and one of the Lincoln Douglas sites. <clears throat> so your parents, what did they do? My father, my father was a uh, uh, my father was a. Uh, I mean, I, I don't wanna get, I, he was a much more complicated guy than giving him, but he was. Um, but but he they came to Washington during the war. My father had. Polio when he was a kid, so he so he couldn't serve, so he, he he worked in the Pentagon in the Department of the Army, and so and he was and he was there from, he was there from the time I was born. I mean, not, I'm not sure. He came he came in I guess the, the, the mid, sure, sometime in the 40s, and, uh, and and he retired I guess in, in the Vietnam era. And my, my mother was a teacher. And I, I, I have a sister who's a, was a is a prof, professional cellist in Washington with the National Symphony. Still. I'm sorry. Is she still doing that? She just retired, but she's but she's giving her title still. Her name is Janet. Janet Frank. Yeah. In your book, you talk about Harry Truman in 1940, 43, in that era, running something called the Truman Committee in the Senate. And I want you to talk about that, but I also want you to talk about how much he knew about the Manhattan Project. And then also, what kind of condition was FDR in when he ran in 1944, and how many people knew how sick he was? I mean, just combine all that because it seems like it's a critical time in history. Yeah, let me let me let me let me divide it. Roosevelt, people who knew Roosevelt up close knew that he was a, sort of knew he was a dying man. It was a wonderful book that that Joe Lellyveld wrote about wrote about him and, uh, and, and about sort of his last year. And uh, and and, and uh, there, there's also another book called, called the the dying president the dying president that, that that Robert Farrell did. But Joe Lullivan's book is really something. And people people anybody who saw him was shocked by his appearance. He was, but but then he could suddenly bring it back. He could he could give us a, a speech, the famous Fowler speech. He was, but he was on his last legs. And and uh, and Truman Truman had no idea that he was Truman hoped that he might survive his the term. But he could you could see it. He. And his his he, the inaugural address he gave in 1945 lasted six minutes. He was sort of held in a way held up by his son. He was in great pain. The, his his trip to Yalta was was, was almost a superhuman feat. How, I don't know how he how he how he you think how did he manage it? And when he came back for the first time, he he gave an address to Congress. He sat. He he he, he just said, "I can't. I have ten pounds of steel on these legs. I, I, you know, I should I, I should tell people who don't realize that he had polio and he could not walk, and he was and he had a and and but he by sort of so he had to support himself with his arms and getting out and and when he, when he stood he was he was he was supported by braces, and uh, so Truman 
Truman, so Truman, Truman, he was a, he was a very sick man, and Truman, his uh, Roosevelt's doc, doctors knew it, but they and 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 but when he when he when he died suddenly in April twelve forty five, it was came as a surprise and shock, shocked everyone. The the Truman Committee came before that. The Truman Committee is probably why Truman, uh, uh, Truman was we got on the ticket. The Truman Committee was Truman had been a had been a sort of had not been one of an, an outstanding senator. He'd had exactly a pretty good time in Washington, and he had he hung he hung around with these small town senators. But then he 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 had the idea that he could he was a very organized guy. He was very it could be, it could be a very detailed guy. When he was even as sort of supervisor in Missouri, he could supervise this, this, this the, how the roads, the asphalt of the roads. And he got into this. He thought it was time to look at the spending by 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 the by the fence industries for uh, who was how much was being wasted. This was even before the war. Then it continued. It was, I guess the waste, fraud, and abuse would be the phrase today. And he was a very effective chairman of this committee. Um, then he, at one point, he found this very odd set of expenses in a place called Pasco, Washington. And he found there was something called the Manhattan District, something or other. And he called, but he said, "What? That's so." He called the Secretary of Defense, uh, and Stimson, and said, "What? What's this all about?" And Stimson said, "I, I can't tell you, but you have to trust me that it's on the up and up." And then, but then Truman just said, eh, "It was enough." So, he, but but so Truman, that was of course the, that was the Manhattan Project, of course. And he didn't know what it was. But he knew there was something very odd going on, and there was a lot of, and it was a big defense project, and didn't know, and he didn't know what it was, and it annoyed him. And the only only way that Stimson got shut it down was to basically say, "But the president knows about this. Lay off." In so many words, and Truman laid off. Anybody he, in Congress do the same kind of work that the Truman Committee did today? Anybody today? I mean, or, what, how special was? Because he, you say in his book that he got to choose who was serving on that committee. Yeah, and I, I don't. Yeah, he did. He also, he also got, he also got to choose um, the, the, the people who, who did the, the, the investigations for him. I, I don't think it, I can't think of anything in today's Washington where they have where, where committees are sort of I mean, nonpartisan committees. This was this was really not. This was don't forget this was investigating investigating um, expanding un, under a Democratic administration. That's just, uh, and, and 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 they were un, uh, unhindered by this. I mean, about that's that was another extraordinary thing that the the, the the sort of crossover of, 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 of parties, the, the people calling for Truman to resign. I mean, the, the, uh, the suggestion that Truman resign was made by a Democrat. Uh, uh, Jay William Fulbright of Arkansas was the one who suggested that Truman, uh, after 46, that Truman resigned and appoint a, and appoint a Republican uh, to, to Secretary of State who would become president. There was, a, there was an extraordinary amount of, 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 I wouldn't call it bipartisanship, but nonpartisanship in Washington in those days. Well, give give us your your view on this. Harry Truman knew nothing going into the vice presidency, as you say. He wasn't briefed. He knew nothing about the bomb. And the people close to FDR and FDR himself knew how sick he was. And he was young. Yeah, I think he died when he was 64. So and everybody reveres FDR in history. But it seems to me that those couple of things combined are a real blot on his on his career that and did they make decisions during that time that have that we're suffering from today uh, when he was talking to Yalta and places like that people people say that Roosevelt was unable to Roosevelt really thought he was going to live forever and uh, and uh, and but of course that was why Burns and Walt that's why Burns Burns was so eager to be 
chosen for vice president. He knew he he was pretty. He had a pretty good thought idea that he might just be the next president because he saw he saw how sick Roosevelt was. So there was a sense of a sense of of, of mortality. I'm not sure in in Walter in Yalta. I'm not sure that Roosevelt did any anything wrong. I mean, I don't know. There was a, there's a lot of oh, Russell Roosevelt gave away this, gave away that. The war the war was being settled. There was no Russia had a Russia. Russia sought, particularly Poland, was a huge issue, and it's very interesting. I mean, Stalin saw Stalin saw Poland much the way, you know, as as, as a as a as a buffer zone. He, 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 he couldn't see he couldn't separate Russian security from Poland, and and he saw you know from Stalin's point of view, and Burns Burns sympathized with this too. Every invasion of the when the Germans came to invade, they came through Poland. So Stalin wanted wanted to secure Poland. And Roosevelt was fine. There really were spheres of influence then. So and there was there really wasn't much of a question that Poland was going to be, uh, even though uh, even though there, there, there was there was talk about the, the so-called London Poles who were going to take over or were going to have a role in the government. And Stalin promised promised it, but he, he he just he didn't keep his word. And everyone sort of I think everyone knew this. You can you can call you can say that Roosevelt he was a sick man and didn't know what he was doing. He he knew what he was doing. I want to ask you about uh, near the end of the book, and as a matter of fact, the last paragraph of the book. Uh, you, you quote everybody from Richard <clears throat> Revere, a New Yorker writer, uh, would soon write after he left office with the sort of fondness, just talking about Harry Truman, that townsmen have for one of their own whom they know to have borne born up well under great difficulties, unquote. <clears throat> Lippmann, meaning Walter Lippmann, was correct in writing that the temper Truman frequently lost was a good temper, and no biographer has captured that as much as skill and thoroughness as David McCullough. And I'm going to come back to David McCullough in a second. But these writers, did they were they just in love with Harry Truman at the end of his term, in spite of how unpopular he was? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the word there was that they began. You, know, you begin to see. I was going to say almost as, as if, if if you see someone. If you see someone, if someone dies, and you suddenly begin to see their, their their virtues in a way that they haven't seen them before, and I think it's and I think it's true when someone suddenly leaves office, and you begin to see they begin suddenly to see the virtues in this man. He was yeah, he was sure he was limited. Sure, he didn't have a great imagination. Sure, he was inexperienced. But 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 he was but there again, he seemed to be he was an honest man. He tried to do the right thing, and he did lots of and lots of things he did were right. And even if he didn't even if he didn't understand, and I think I think that was an I think that was an acknowledgement by. I say by 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 the Lippmann. Lippmann had nothing but contempt for him over the years. But then I think that's why that eh, okay, he had a and he began to see him as a human as a human being. And uh, and I think that's I think that was um, that that that's what was being said there. And I think and I think and David McCullough certainly certainly caught that side of Truman. The sort of the sort of the, the, the side you began people began to sort of say yeah sort of this this guy this the, the good neighbor the. Uh, that was the figure, of course, who managed to win in '48. That was the figure people saw. This, this appealing, this appealing, every man, so to speak. You, you called the David McCullough Truman book 30 years ago uh, as masterful, and it celebrated Truman's many virtues and his communion with the better angels of his compatriots. The idea, as the historian Clinton Rossiter wrote, that he was someone whom history will delight to remember. But I have to ask you, because one of the chapters that everybody liked was the last chapter in the book about Truman going home and not having any money and not having any support from the government. And as you probably know, 
that was all blown apart back in July of 2021 in the New York Magazine article by Paul Campos, which had suggested that when they found out in 1953, the will showed that he was worth considerable amounts of money, but painted this picture as if he didn't have anything. Uh, Undoubtedly at the time, David McCullough didn't know that, but that was a very sentimental chapter. What's your reaction after the New York Magazine article came out? I don't think the New York Magazine actually blew that much apart. I mean, I don't think there was not great. Chet Truman was pretty well off. He'd signed a $600,000 contract with, with, uh, you know, with, with Life Magazine to write his memoir. That was a lot of money in those days. And, 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 he, was, um, and, he, he, and he had the house. He had the farm still. He, so he was, uh, he was, he, he was, he was actually not, not, not badly off, but, but yes, I think David McCullough did, made it maybe a little more sentimental than it was. There was a sense of him going, I mean, he, he did take a road trip with Bessa, with Bessa in their, in their old, that was, was a Chrysler, I guess it was. And, and, uh, and, and, and they, and they, they definitely lived comfortably in the, in the, in, in the house that, that, that Bessa's mother had, had, had and so on. But I, I don't think anything was, I, mean, I don't think Truman was, he was not a rich man. And uh, and by gosh, compared to presidents since then, he was uh, he was he was he was upper middle class. I would say. I mean, well, they they do suggest that his value was way over six million dollars on today, in today's money, though. Well, I don't know how much the six hundred thousand that he would have gotten. That doesn't surprise me. His real estate holdings and but but in but in, the, in those times, it was nothing like six million dollars. And uh, and six million dollars today isn't all that much for for someone for an ex president, considering. Considering what are worth these days. So, how much more did you write that didn't make it into the book, and what was it? Pretty really good question. I don't know. I, I mean, I did take out. I, I did take out things. I'm just trying to think what. Here's so here's something I really loved. I mean, this is this is this is actually a more serious question. This is on the the the, the atom bomb. One of the I, it ended up as a footnote. I wanted to do. You know, there was a lot of discussion about. Maybe they should have demonstrated the bomb before it was dropped, and and I found a, a long oral history by by Admiral Strauss, who was later on the Atomic Energy Commission. He suggested that this bomb should have been dropped on this great in this great grove of cedar trees in Japan. He said they would have spread out like like a, like a I'm trying to think what's what's the word you know, you know like a great anyway they they would have like a great circle of of of, of, of trees and people would have, it would have been they're enormous things, and there would have been people would have been awestruck by the sight of it, and there would have been no no one killed, no cities destroyed, things like that. So that I, I left that out. I left out um, I left out some of the uh, I'm just trying to think what else I left out. I left out stuff, but nothing nothing that I thought was really important. Nothing that I thought would if it was important to the story, it got in. I had a wonderful editor. I know I should say that, and uh, and uh, and we we almost we almost never we almost never disagreed. And, uh, Do you have a uh, inter- interest in another book? Yeah, not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. I, 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 have a, I think maybe the next one will be slightly more modest. I'm thinking of thinking of, of, of it. My, maybe something. Maybe something New Yorkish. My, 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 my grandfather was was the campaign manager for John Perry Mitchell, New York's first fruit fusion mayor. So that period of the city interest. I don't know. I'm just. I'm not going to write that book. I don't think. But that's one of the. But I'm thinking maybe something more modest. I'm not going to spend seven years on another presidential biography. That's. Uh, that's 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 that's, that's uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how I don't know how anyone does does those again and again. <laughs> I, I, I I think I, I I'm in awe of, of of Bob Carroll, of course. Well, the name of this book is called "The Trials of Harry S. Truman." The subtitle is "The Extraordinary Presidency of an Ordinary Man, 1945 to 1953." And our guest has been 
Jeffrey Frank, who also wrote a book called Ike and Dick, Ike Eisenhower and Dick Nixon. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for talking to us from Denmark. It was my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcasts at c-span.org. 